You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Media, we are here on Phoenix 92.5 FM and, of course, nerdtoknowmedia.com with the developer of uh, tech support, Error Unknown, Kevin Gier. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, um, to come and speak with us. My pleasure. Peace in, everyone. So uh, I've I've been playing your game a lot. Um, I really enjoyed it. It popped up randomly on my my Steam mentions, and I was like, okay, let's have a look at this. And I've really enjoyed it. So uh, the first thing I need to say is, where did the inspiration come from this game, and what made you want to kind of delve in here? Because uh, you have to have been in this industry <laughs> to know it, because it's very accurate. It, it, it's scary how accurate it is. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So, first, maybe a, a little bit of backstory. Um, Tech Support Era Unknown was my third game published on Steam. Right. Um, my first game was a Japanese-style RPG called Arrowlight Core, and my second game was a runner racing game called Astral Traveler. Okay. And neither of those games really sold all that well. Right. Um, you know, it's a, di it's a difficult... Uh, there, there's a lot of games coming out. It's difficult to stand out. It's difficult for people to notice your games. So as I moved into the next game that I was going to work on, I took a moment to kind of figure out how, what are themes that have not been explored? How can I really distinguish myself from anything that's on the market right now? Mm. Um, one of the games that I really enjoyed, uh, and I think it shows in the design of tech support, is Papers, Please. Right. which is a story of a, um, a, a customs agent in a kind of a country torn by war and whatnot. Mm. Um, and I think that the job of a customs agent is something that really stands out and that, you know, that was something that no one ever, ever seen before. Yeah. So I drew from my experience as a, uh, obviously a programmer, and uh, you asked me if I had done some tech support. I never worked in a tech support environment, but I did support products that I've developed. And right. I decided to work on tech support, which I figured would also be something that, I, that could uh, interest uh, a great deal of, of people as well. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to do was kind of make it, make the game in such a way that you didn't need to have technical know-how to proceed, uh, yeah. everything is kind of very um, uh, familiar, uh, familiar to people. That the answers are very logical, but also, like I wanted, um, uh, I, as I worked on the game, uh, I realized that the game was a little less about the technical aspect of things, anyways, and it became a lot more about these people that you encounter, all of these real, uh, not these relationships, but these personalities of the people you encounter. So it's kind of interesting because when I started the game, I was really focusing on all of the technical aspects and I had, I had ideas for design schematics and all that. And that kind of got put aside as I started focusing on the actual people that you meet and, you know, whether it be the characters of the story and the, um, uh, the random customers that come in with their own problems and who have their own personalities as well so, I'm the, uh, yeah. sorry sorry Bring go for it no the, one thing, the one thing i was uh standard by was like how authentic some of the responses from customers was like it's uh, scary it's scary yeah, yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> it's unbelievable actually yeah 
because I, I, um, like I haven't had a chance to play the game, so I was just running through um, a bunch of Let's Plays uh, earlier today for this. And uh, first of all, in almost every single one of them, they referred to it as being, uh, being Papers, Please, but in tech support. In mm. every single one but as well as that like i mean the amount of times where they were just like trying to waste the customer's time and then they come back going oh actually it works now that's fine and we're like what this is this is exactly what happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> i chat I, with customers i've been doing i've done two let's plays so far um mm. for the channel but i've played a bunch uh, i've played it for about four or five hours and it's the same kind of thing where the react, the overreaction from customers, the the mm. extreme annoyance, and just how it all kind of works, where you have to send stuff back forward and, and look through databases. It's 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 actually it's the most accurate way for tech support I've ever seen in a game. <laughs> so fair play, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But in every kind of way, even like the little kind of emails that you get from people and yeah. all that kind of stuff, it's it's actually spectacular. So fair play. And this is just like I know it's surface level because there are much deeper levels which we get into, but from an actual like game world immersion you you nailed it man it's 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 incredible it really is thank you do you have swearing turned on oh yeah 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 yeah. that's what makes it even more real and you're like okay (laughs) so it's it's unbelievable it really is um but yeah so talking about that right from that approach i've seen a bunch of like because i like playing games like gray hat and stuff like that as well where it has an inbuilt os that's something that really struck me. When that ever happens, that's that immediately hooks me in. I'm like, okay, this is beyond just a basic simulator. They're really going for deep immersion. What made you go um, that deep in to like really kind of place you as not just someone playing a game, but you're actually involved in every aspect, even down to the BIOS level of, of a computer? So um, when I one, one of the challenges I have as a developer is I, I work alone. So I work alone on you know, on tech support, I was the only developer. I made like 99% of it. Uh, I had an artist for a few of the icons, but that that's about it. Right. Because I work alone, because I'm not an artist, I need, I, I try to find these hooks for, um, to get people really immersed into the environment and really kind of add this little level of, of playfulness. Hmm. I think one of the fun things about OSs and whatnot it's kind of like the manipulation of windows and resizing and do, doing all these things. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're very natural actions, but I think that, that we kind of take for granted. But I think there's, there's something fun and freeing about being able to do that stuff. Um, and I've played other games that kind of emulated um, computer environments, but they didn't allow you to resize anything. They, everything yeah. was very locked. It was very static. Mm. And you, I, I felt like when I was playing those games, I felt like you were losing a fun aspect. You were, you were losing some of the playfulness. So yeah. that's actually a lot, of, a lot of the angles that I, that I take when I um, uh, design you know, tech support or anything else is how can I make this playful? How can the, the player can go in and, and kind of play around with the the game outside of the main thing that the game wants you to do so you're interacting with these people you're you're messing around with them but like just moving you're going to be moving windows around all the time so that yeah. should be fun to do right mm. um and same goes with you know there's a command prompt in the game well it's fun to be able to explore and discover there are secrets to be found uh you mentioned the bios like that's that's 
that's kind of a, a secret that's hidden in plain sight. All yeah. those things kind of add to the game in a way that's kind of tangential to the um, the, the the core experience, but is at the same time like very um, relatable to people who know computers. And it's also very um, satisfying to kind of find all of these nuggets and secrets that that I've as the designer has um, laid around and, and kind of allowed people to discover. I just I you know I I want people to enjoy their experience, and I I always say like the most important thing for me is the. Um, the main thing, the thing that you're, the things that you're doing the most in the game should be fun. Yeah. And that's actually like, I, I find that a lot of games don't actually do that. You'll, you'll have a game that have, that has a great combat system, but then moving around the map isn't actually fun. There's not anything that's involved to make that fun. Uh, Assassin's Creed did a good job. Assassin's Creed has you climbing all over the place and you're jumping from roof to roof and mm. and or Mirror's Edge. Like those are games that are super fun in uh, during the navigation. And I feel like more games should kind of try to integrate those aspects into uh, the uh, the experience of the game because it makes it so much more interesting and 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 pleasing well beyond the main mechanics and that's something that really kind of hooks you in um I, I wasn't aware that there was a terminal in the game until it popped up when i started kind of you know working with indigo fox or whatever and i was like oh wow this is amazing and then when i unlocked it and i was messing around with it, the, the fact that it mirrors the command prompt so well and it's able to do such cool things and then when you play it again you're you, you can unlock it super early on i was messing around with last night it opens up this game well beyond what you're expecting and adds this whole other level because i know there is the whole conspiracy thing and all that side which we talk about but i would say for anyone who's played this game and hasn't invested a serious amount of time in it they're missing out and they're they're it's unlike Greyhack or something like that, which you know what you're getting into. Um, this is beyond that, and it's it, it's just one of those things that I'm shocked by every time I go back to play it. Um, I haven't had a, a similar run through yet. Um, there are similar stuff, obviously, where you got to kind of go through a bit anywhere, but as far as when you start getting into it, it really opens up um, as a game after the fourth or fifth playthrough. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to do was to make sure that the the game had a lot of depth, but was very um, accessible to players. Like you have you have a lot of hacking games where you type long lists of commands, yeah, and it kind of uh, really emulates a, a a hacking environment. And I I actually purposefully did not want to do that specifically yeah, it's uh, too because. Much. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, it is a lot, and and those are great experiences, right? Like if you're looking for for those things, um, th those games are are out there, and and people get very invested in them, and and that's fine. That's that's a perfect experience for those games. In my case, because there's a timer to to each day and whatnot, I wanted to make sure that a lot of the actions are can be executed really uh, rapidly, which is also why. When you communicate with customers, you cannot type an answer. Yeah, uh, you have to choose from a menu. So a lot of people kind of wanted to see. Oh well, it would be cool if you could type manually type an answer, uh, which would have been difficult. You know, let's not kid ourselves. It would have been difficult for my side as well. Oh, yeah. to kind of 
be able to respond to everything. Mm. But also, it also slows down everything. It slows down the pacing. It slows down the ability to respond to customers. Um, and as the game stands right now, a starting player will probably complete like three or four tickets on their first day. Meanwhile, because I've... I have a lot of experience with the game. I can complete 15. That would mm. not be possible with a copy and paste kind of system. No, like the, like uh, for, from the mechanics of it, trying to understand how you read it, it uh, wrote it. It is a bunch of if statements basically with that, where you're kind of like, if this happens, go in, get in. And to be able to do that, the way you have it set up, yeah, I understand that criticism, um, but it would destroy the gameplay. Yeah. Because you're expected to do so much, and even when you unlock that extra RAM where you can have extra screens and stuff, you're like, no, you don't want to be able to. like. <laughs> it, there are some weird points where you're interacting with someone and the option isn't there, but it kind of reaches that logical conclusion anyway. Um, but I think that's a very small criticism, in my opinion. I I got around it and it wasn't that big of a deal. Bryn, do you want to get in there? So one thing I was thinking about there was um, one of the things I'd seen in the a lot of playthroughs just the vast amount of different uh, endings there are that are possible. Uh, was that inspired out of something like the Stanley, Stanley Parable or games of that, of that style where there are just a huge depth of different ways that the story can end? In a way, yes, but also I think it, it was also a response to my own game. So, you know, okay, so as a player... I don't often replay games. I'll, I'll usually go through the, the main experience and I'll, I'll see the, um, the conclusion and I'll, I'll try to experience uh, most, if not all of the things that the game has to offer. I'll finish the game, I'll be satisfied. And then I, I would rather play 10 games for 10 hours than one game for 100 hours, for instance. Right. Um, and when I was working on Our Light Core, my first game, AJRPG, that was kind of the philosophy that I brought into it, which was a, a more of a linear experience um, because that's what I prefer. Unfortunately, you know, that ended up backfiring against me. That was one of the main criticisms about the game because, you know, that's not, that's not what most people get out of games. Mm -hmm. So as I worked on tech support, I kind of you know, I learned from what I had done and I, I knew that I wanted to have to provide a lot of freedom for players. I wanted to have all of these threads that people can could pursue to kind of um, go explore all of these uh, different characters. I wanted to feel natural. So it's not, there's no morality system, uh, which I feel like would have been uh, very gamey. Instead, it's more like you develop these relationships with these different people yeah. and if you, um, if you don't develop that relationship then they just go away and it, they, they don't really uh, uh, pay attention to you anymore which I felt was a lot more natural um, and uh, the whole 23 endings thing is that that kind of came about naturally because uh, suddenly you can choose to follow all of these people and you know, you can you can choose to help them, and you can succeed in helping them or fail in helping them, and the 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 endings just started piling up from there in a kind of a uh, natural fashion. Um, but yeah, a lot of it came down to I I, I had this huge story. Uh, you know, you have the, the the main conflict of the game, which is the um, 
the conflict between Indigo, the uh, anonymous kind of hacker group, and um, oh my God, uh, I forget the name of the main company, Kazar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. I, I made it's the okay. game it's okay. a year ago. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so you have the, the conflict between Indigo and, and Kazar, and that's kind of the main conflict of the game. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure to have tangential stuff that don't doesn't even relate to the main thing for people to pursue yeah uh, because because it's all about kind of having that that natural um uh quote-unquote simulation mm. experience and in real life not everything revolves around your job not everything revolves around this one conflict and that's kind of what i want to do okay your brother comes in you have uh, all of these emails from from different people who are have no connection to the main conflict mm. and as a player you can even just ignore the main conflict you don't care about that you just care about taking your care job. of your sick mother and there <laughs> you go you have that freedom yeah that's one thing that, that i noticed as well it was i don't know the right way to play the game and that's <laughs> the first time that actually happened because i'm like okay do i side with the hackers or do i just do the job or do i pay for medicine or and the fact that's that that's there is very interesting because again there's no real right way to play it is there or am i missing something no uh and actually that was one of the um one of the big things that i want to do with this game is there is no villain in the game so yeah. there's no the game doesn't say this this is a good guy this is a bad guy everyone has their own motivations and in in real life no one is the villain of their own story right like Correct, everyone yeah. Everyone acts, and you can agree or disagree with their philosophy, with their life philosophies, with the reasons why they do things. But they feel justified in their own actions. And when mm -hmm. I created those characters, I wanted everyone to feel justified in what they do. And you, as the player, can choose to align yourself with their philosophy or just disagree with it and, and go in a different direction. That's yeah. also why I want to have different people who were connected and not connected with the main conflict because you get to explore a lot more different philosophies uh, under that model. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's one of the mo most refreshing parts of it. I think it's very character-based, even though there's no real kind of, um, no audio, no voice acting, you're still sucked in. You know, when you get those emails, they're very, very in depth. Particularly when, even when stuff like Spencer pops up, and you're like, Spencer's Island, <laughs> you get to like upgrade your computer. That's very fun. Um, I, I, I love the little widget system, you know, where you can pop out and you go on the internet and stuff, and um, it, it feels very real. You know, it feels very lived in, and that's what's nice. So when these characters come in, you're not just saying this is part of the simulation. This, is, these are characters in this world that you can really kind of grow and develop. Um, so yeah, man, look, fair play. It's it's out of this world. What made you use Unity as a thing? Because I know it's, it's, it's weird, like, if I'm using Unity in this, this this is really pushed what I thought Unity could even do. My first game, I'm always going to talk about my first game. Everyone, hey, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. About building upon your past experience and uh, your mistakes. My first game, uh, I made the engine entirely myself. So right. it was made in C Sharp with uh, XNA. Uh, I started it in 2012, and uh, that was still the 360 era yep. when uh, Microsoft had the uh, indie game thing on the 360. 
Mm. Uh, I forget the exact name of it. But so they had that platform. And like one of my objectives was to kind of make a game that would function on um, the 360. So I used their API basically. Um, unfortunately, the result is that my game was only compatible with uh, Windows. Mm. Uh, and I tried a few things to kind of convert my code to other, to other um, frameworks, but you know, I, I started realizing how much time uh, that would be and it didn't quite work as, as I wanted to, so I kind of put that aside for a while. Um, and as I completed that project, I, I, I realized like that's coding your, your engine is time consuming. It's not worth the, the effort. I want to make games. I don't want to make engines. Right. So there are like a billion and a half resources on the internet for Unity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tried, I tried, I, I tried a few engines, I, you know, Game Maker Studio and Unreal Engine and all that. Uh, and Unity was just the one that really stuck with me because in the past I had worked with uh, Flash, Adobe Flash, uh, and I had made games with that. And I felt like some of the philosophies and the way you kind of manipulate the environment and whatnot was similar. I, I could see some similarities with Flash and I immediately took to Unity. Like within half an hour, I was already making cool stuff that, that, that functioned well. Um, and that was for my for my second game. And then when I went for my third game, I was so familiar with Unity at that point that it would have been way more time consuming to kind of switch engines. And I don't think like I, I don't think I would have gained anything from switching engines. Uh, right. Like as a developer, one of the things I need to be conscientious of is how much time every action. Uh, like I do this full time, so I, I rely on this for for uh salary and whatnot and i right i only make money when i sell games and i only sell games when i've completed games yeah so i need to make sure that i uh, i spend the time my time wisely during development and unity was just um an engine that that i felt allowed me to do this and unity is also very versatile you can do 2d things you can do 3d things you can do you know all all of tech support was made within the menu system of Unity. And, you know, as you can see from, from the games I've already released, I like exploring different genres. I like to, like, I, I, I uh, my ideas are just all over the place. Right now I'm working on a first-person puzzle game. I'm working on a tycoon-style game. For a while I was working on a card game. So I have, like, all of these, all of these, um, uh, directions that, that I love to explore and to kind of develop for mm. and uh, that, that kind of played into Unity as well as opposed to other engines that tend to be more specialized in the thing that they uh, they are really good at. And you can kind sure. of you can kind of export them out and as well and kind of have that com uh, compatibility so sorry I just wanted to clear it up because you know Unity gets a bad bad rep and you know I think it's I think it's great. Sorry, Brian, go for it. Yeah, I'm sure um, as well. Working on that many different kinds of games at the same time is great for cross pollinating ideas and going. Oh, that's a great system I can throw in somewhere else and uh, just keep you creative, keep you creatively vibrant with work. Because it's uh, I've seen it from um, uh, I've seen it come up with other other developers where they've made comments about going. 
that they about games that they have uh, they want to do long term support for that um, when they go off to make other games they go oh that's actually a great idea I'll bring it back for for another release for the next build of a game I'm currently working on and is that something that you found uh, with uh, trying to do so many projects simultaneously? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, um, so I uh, I do uh, streaming as well. I stream uh, game development during the week, and on Sundays I play uh, I play games, and I try to kind of cover three or four different games uh, during a, a four hour stream. And you know, I like to. I don't. I never focus on a single genre. I, I explore everything. I want to see everything because you never know when where a cool idea is going to pop up and also i think i think it's important to kind of contextualize ideas like you can see there there are games out there that are heavily heavily criticized uh for the fans of the angry video game nerd Mm. uh you might know um jekyll and hyde on the nes which is renowned to be a terrible game but there's a really cool mechanic in that game where as Jekyll, you are walking to the right, and if you die, you turn into Hyde, and you're walking to the left, and your gameplay, you're continuing to play. The gameplay is changed because your abilities change, and it's it becomes a race against the clock to to wake up again as as Jekyll. And the game itself is not great, but that mechanic is really cool. I've never used anything like that, but when I play a game. That's, that's basically how I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at all of the individual elements uh, and I, I'm going to see, okay, how can I use this in different contexts? Is this interesting? Uh, and conversely, you, you can have a game that's really awesome, but, oh, this thing does not work. This, 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 is, um, you know, this is buggy or, or oftentimes it's menu systems that a lot of devs are not good with menu systems and it's yep. very difficult to uh to navigate or you don't have all the options or oh this option should be here but it's under two different things or um you know i i, I try to notice all of those small things and those are often very relevant to uh different genres of games and you know they'll be uh, relevant to whatever I'm working on uh, okay. and you're right like even as I as I work on different games like I'll be I'll be uh, exploring different ideas and I'll, I'll often throw ideas away that I don't feel fit within what I'm trying to do or conversely oh this is really cool on on a prototype that ends up not working out but I'll use it in another game because it's just I realize that that is really fun and I, it needs to be in a game that that I have so yeah. you, can, you can definitely get that sense of progression as you're going through like the depth of this is you know uh, I'm not I'm not shocked to hear that that's your working mechanism because it's it's so it's so obvious you know um, one thing one thing that you did mention you mentioned about mechanics of the game itself and uh, how do you go about implementing those like when you're doing your design when you're doing your actual first build as such how different is the first process compared to you know the the mid or final build like for you oh it'll usually be very 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 different uh i start off with a 
game design document, which which can range from 20 pages to 50 to 80. That really depends on the, the type of game that I'm working on and how much I'm detailing stuff like story and, and features and whatnot. And I'll start, I'll start with that. And a game design document is basically a, a list of assumptions. So I, I'm writing what I think is going to be fun. All of these elements work together and this works with this. And okay, this, is, this, this seems like really fun on paper. Then I start integrating it. And I, I, I always focus on integrating the, um, the features first. Uh, I put graphics aside because I want to make sure that the game is fun, that the mechanics right. are are super fun for the player. And if they're not, okay, then I need to uh, then you know obviously I'm not going to flesh those out. I'm going to throw them away. So I'm mm. I'm saving time in that sense in, in my iteration, and uh, I'll try to uh, to kind of to come up with alternatives. Or if one feature turns out to be really really fun, then okay, how I can how can I make other things connect with that one feature in tech support that feature turned out to be the conversations that i was having with um with customers originally again i, I was expecting that the fun would be in the more technical aspect mm. uh but it turns out that the more for me what, what i found was more interesting was all of these conversations and making it sound very natural and having yeah. all of these different personalities like that was really uh, really interesting, and that just came came out organically from from that process. And that's one thing as well. Like on that on that point with customers, all the customer interactions are all very very. There's one or two that are a bit kind of hilarious, but uh, a lot of most of them. About ninety-eight percent of them are very, very organic. Even down to like their spelling errors and stuff, which I really enjoyed. I was like, "Yeah, that just that's very real. That kind of happens." And it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's just it's it's amazing. Like, so how did you actually manage to get that? Did you do a was there a call out for a sample size? Did you get some people involved to help you, or is it just your own? Your own I wrote friend? everything in the game. Uh, I wrote everything in the English version of the game. There oh. is a German and a Chinese version. I I, I neither speak nor spell uh, German nor Chinese. Although I do speak <laughs> so peace and to all of, sure. the, all of the people in uh, Quebec out there. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wrote everything and basically I was trying to find different hooks that would really be able to distinguish people. So the first thing that I did was how, how how many ways are there to say hello? How many, you know, are there synonyms that, that I can use that, that kind of change the structure of, uh, of sentences? Um, I, uh, yeah, some, some people will make a lot of typos and that's kind of, that, that's the, depending on the personality of the person. Some people make a lot of typos. Mm. Some people make very few, um, you know, and, and, this uh, this might be weird. I don't know, I don't know if you've noticed this one. I went really in depth with the typo system too because the typos are all keys that are around the key yeah. that you're typing. That's so that's what was really impressive. I was like, yeah. this because they're real. They're not ridiculous typos. They're ones that people would actually make. Yeah, exactly. So like that was again part of trying to make things as realistic and as uh, believable. As possible, one of the, the one of my favorite aspects of the um, dialogue system actually that came uh, late in development was uh, smileys. So I always wanted to have smileys in conversations. These are again very relatable to people, 
and uh, it took me a while, but I, I was very happy to be able to uh, integrate those within the within the system. It's great. It's 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 one of the most fun kind of. Um, it's it's not casual. It's listed as a casual game, and I wouldn't say it is. Like it has that element, but you can waste away like an hour or two hours before you even realize, and then you start getting into the game. Um, so it's just great, and it's you know it has all that technical stuff as well. But the actual like interaction with customers and even interaction with other employees, it's great. It's um, it's one of the most enjoyable uh, experiences of that outside of other games that would be similar to it. Like I was playing Orwell. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and Orwell just doesn't have that that same charm or Orwell feels very I'm very aware I'm playing a game yeah with that's, it. that's it's not um, yeah. like I mean one of the things I loved was um, in one of the playthroughs I saw like one of the very first conversations was asking am I talking to a bot or to a real person mm. which is just one of the most common questions to get on chat on an online chat or one and where it's like, or it's one I finally broke down and talked to you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, absolutely. It's yeah. great. It's it's so it grabs you so quickly. Yeah. It's just so immersive. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> I did, and the funny thing about it is, I was raving about this game to everybody who would listen before I even discovered the hacking elements and the deeper dark side. Mm. But even playing 20 minutes in, I'm like, this is one of the most fun games I've played in a very long time. So um, yeah, it's as, as Bryn said. When you're working a chat, you know you see these kind of things, yeah. and you know um, one yeah. thing. What's it like building a browser inside a game? Like I know you can't type stuff. I discovered that last night. But what 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 did you want to achieve having that like in-world browser? Well, so originally, when I started developing the game again, I, I kind of made a list of all the things that I expect to find on a computer. So you have your your mail, you you already you uh, obviously needed the chat system because that was mm. a core part of the game. Uh, the command prompt was was pretty much always there, and the browser uh, became a, a big part of it. Um, and originally, the uh, the banking system was actually its own application. Right. Uh, and over time, like I, I kind of moved a few of those things over to the browser because it just felt more organic, and uh, it also freed up a little bit your uh, your start menu, uh, mm. which helped out. Um, the browser was was interesting because it's it's um, it's browser pages are from from my perspective as a developer just static pages. Yeah. So there's no real difference between that and uh, the way any every application actually functions in the same way where okay. you have so this is this is going very technical for the people out there but uh, gives you a little insight into how how games are made um, the um, you have your 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 top layer which is kind of the window in which all of the um, software is loaded and then you have the software itself with its uh, kind of visual positioning all of all of those things uh, and in the case of the browser there's a sub level on that which is the actual page that you're you're going to be exploring so the pages themselves are from my perspective, very static. I'm just moving, you know, it's not, it's not coded in any way, the, the same way a actual um, web page would be. It's just boxes that I'm moving around and then kind of stretching to, to make it display properly and stretch along with the, uh, the window that, that contains it. Uh, in a way, it's, it's so much easier to make a fake website because you have a lot of tools 
because because Unity the the Unity uh, UI system is really designed to allow a lot of these things, whereas the real internet was designed in the 70s and 80s yeah. and didn't plan for any of this. And now we're kind of, every, everything we're trying to do is all trying to hack our way around 80s technology, basically. Oh, look, me and Brent know. <laughs> we know. Um, yeah, unfortunately yeah, we do. Unfortunately we do. And that's why everything breaks and your game doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, um, but yeah, it's... Um, that's really cool, man. That's that. That's fantastic. And it's one thing I actually thought about when I was playing it initially, because more naturally it felt like the banking thing would be in an app. But then when I was going through, I was actually like, oh wait, you got to kind of install everything, and then it goes onto the web page. Like Spencer's Oasis, I thought would have been an app as well. So I once I figured out that was consciously what you were doing, it kind of made it more natural after that point but uh really enjoyed it dude you know mm. I, I know it's like anyone who hasn't checked your game out it's over on steam now you can download it for free um as a demo um but anyone who hasn't played it what, give us the hard sell kevin what what's the hard sell so uh yeah i guess i guess we're gonna close by explaining what the game is <laughs> <laughs> so uh in tech support era known you play the role of a tech support specialist um, you're working for this company, Quasar, who is getting attacked by a uh, hacktivist group called Indigo, and you, as a player, must decide: Do I want to hack? Uh, do I want to side with hacktivists, side with the corporation, or do something else entirely? It's a game about all, your relationship with all of these different people, uh, you know, in, in different positions within the corporation, the, the hacktivist group, your brother, the police gets involved. There's all of these people who want something from you, mm. um, but you're in control. You're, you might just be a tech support specialist, but the game is very much positioned to put you in control. You make the decisions and uh, your actions definitely has a big impact upon uh, what will happen uh, and will lead to one of 23 different endings. So it's available now on Steam. And, uh, and when you complete it, uh, you can go into uh, some challenge modes as well. There are leaderboards uh, where you can challenge yourself and uh, try to become the best tech support specialist in all the land. So uh, go check it out. Definitely one for the CV anyway. Guys, go over, check it out on Steam now. Tech support, error unknown. Uh, there's a bunch of less plays on our YouTube channel and there will be a review coming up. Kevin, thank you so much for uh, coming on to join us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you. And uh, also for the people who uh, want to see more of my stuff, uh, my name is Kevin. My company is Dragon Slumber. Um, and I'm currently working on a first-person puzzle game, so very different from uh, what I'm uh, from uh, from tech support itself. And uh, you can actually find me working on the game on Twitch.tv/DragonSlumber. Uh, I stream uh, game dev four times a week, usually during the evenings in Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and yeah, you can kind of discover the stuff that I'm working on and. and if I'm doing something wrong, you can you can tell me in my face, and uh, we can have a conversation about it. I I, I like to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. I'm not I'm not good with social media, which is more about yelling into the ether and and having people hear it or not, depending on if Twitter Twitter wants to show my post. Mm. Um, but I like to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and kind of see all of these perspectives. So. Please drop in uh, or drop into my Discord. You know, f find me. I'm on the internet. I'm I'm everywhere. 
he's very easy to find. He's very easy to find. So <laughs> Dragon Slumber is where you can find him. Alright, so you're wondering, how do I listen to you guys live? How do I check it out? Well, good news, we stream every Wednesday, 9pm, over on Twitch. Nerddux, N-E-R-D-D-U-X, or Nerd Snow Media, on YouTube or Twitch. That's how you're going to be able to catch us. Hope to see you in the live chat. Do you like hearing about a bizarre range of topics from the world of nerd? Does your heart and hairstyle still belong in the nostalgic 90s? Are you a sucker for spooky weirdo things? Well, whether you're a hardcore nerd or a vanilla ice ice baby, Straight Outta Canto is the podcast radio show for you! Straight Outta Canto, that's K-A-N-T-O, Ireland's number one show for nerd culture, nightmares, nostalgia, and more. Straight Outta Canto. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.